Well, hello, everyone. <coughs> um, good morning. Wow, my voice. I hope I can talk. <laughs> anyway, um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Beth Ingabire, and I'm the worship pastor here at Windsor Road Christian Church. I'm excited to be with you guys. The service does look different today. We're going to be singing a whole bunch and dancing and just praising God all through the day. And after that, after this short devotional, we'll get back to it. Um, <laughs> for now, let's turn over our Bibles to Luke 7, chapter 7, verse 36 to 47. And that's on page 864 of the Church Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to take that as your own. We're going to read about two really cool people today. The first one, Luke 7, 36 to 47. One of the Pharisees asked him, Jesus, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclined at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she's a sinner. And Jesus answering him said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled a larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. NIV says, for her great love has shown. I kind of liked that. But he who has forgiven little loves little. Now let's turn over to 2 Samuel 6. Chapter 6, verses 12 to 16. It's another cool person. Everyone loves David. Verse 12. You guys there? Great. And it was told, King David, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. Verse 20, let's jump down to verse 20. And David returned to bless the household, but Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, how the king of Israel honored himself today and covering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father 
and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord, and I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this, and I will be abased in your eyes. But by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. We've read a lot of scripture, and I have a short time, but I couldn't cut it out. Um, today, I want to talk about extravagant worship. Um, we've been going through this whole um, Worship Matters series with Randy talking about the building of a tabernacle, the specifications, the beauty of art in worshiping God. Justin talked about idolatry last week. Um, and so I just want to continue with that. And so I looked up extravagant, and Merriam-Webster defines extravagant as exceeding the limits of reason or necessity, lacking in moderation, balance and restraint, excessively elaborate, spending much more than necessary, profuse, lavish. Extravagant worshipers pour out an offering of praise, an offering of life, an offering of prayer, an offering of love excessively and unapologetically to God, far exceeding the minimum requirement. The truth is we are all extravagant worshipers. We are all extravagantly worshiping something or someone. It's true. We're all doing that. So this woman with an alabaster jar comes in. Mind you, it's a dinner. It's not even church where you're invited. This lady comes into a dinner that she's uninvited into and disrupts whatever's going on because she has one focus in mind, Jesus. She has an offering to give him. I can't imagine going into this dinner fully aware of how society views me as a sinner and as a woman and walking into a Pharisee's house and doing what must be done because I'm completely motivated by the love of Jesus. I, I can't imagine doing that. This act of worship was extremely lavish. It was very excessive. It was not necessary. And it was extremely extravagant. She knew the culture. She knew how people looked at her. Basically, she was not good enough to be in Jesus' presence. She just wasn't. Um, the Pharisee made it very clear in the eyes of those around her, not the right gender, not the right status. And at that moment, at that moment her, great, her love was so great, her devotion was so intense that she didn't care about what anyone else was saying about her, what anyone else thought about her. She had no one else in mind but Jesus. She was completely consumed with who Jesus was, he was her focus, and that was where her affection was going, whether you agreed with her or not. She knew who Jesus was. She knew what Jesus had done for her, and she was motivated by love. I had said that, and Ivy says her great love has showed. Our great love will always show, whether we think we're not expressive or not. It just always does. And we give ourselves over to the things and the people that we love, our physical bodies, our time, our complete affection. When, when grown men see their grandkids, high men of status, they go down and give their grandkids piggyback rides. Um, moms will kneel down and just go to the level of kids and they'll look really dumb. I don't have kids yet, so I don't know what that feels like. But I've seen it happen, and it looks really dumb, but I, I'm so moved by it because you see great men go on their knees for their children that they love so much and their grandkids that they love so much. We hug, we kiss on the cheek, we embrace, we scream our lungs out in karaoke, sounding horrible and awful. Please stop. Sounding just unapologetically bad because we're surrounded by the people who love us and who have accepted us 
and we're in their presence, and we do this unashamedly. We dance like madmen at concerts of the artists who we love so much. They don't even know our names. <laughs> We're there for the check. But man, do we give them some praise. And then we see David, a crazy king. So I grew up in Uganda, and like, we, still have, we still have kingdoms for some of the tribes there. And all growing up in school, I was always one of the dancers, and we had, we had to learn like the royal dances and the war dances and all of this stuff, and I mean, the preparation was intense. I, you know, just bad feet because of dancing on like really bad roads. But it was worth it. You knew who you were dancing for. You knew who you were preparing for. And to me, David blows my mind because the kings that received this praise, I mean, people would run. I, I wasn't one of them because I, my tribe doesn't have a king, so I just used to watch my friends and their parents go crazy over kings and be like, oh, okay, that's a bit much, but... Um, but people would lay prostrate, like you lay prostrate for a king. If, they sh if a king shakes your hand, I'm sorry, people would talk about that for ages. And it was so intense, it was so intense, the atmosphere was so intense because they knew who they were in the presence of. But the kings, the kings didn't do that. They didn't do that. They were the ones receiving the praise. So the fact that David was willing to abase himself and not look the way he's supposed to look. I can't imagine, because the king was surrounded by dignitaries and the colleagues and the people who know the status, how you behave when you're royal. And the fact that he did that just blows my mind. These two people are the same. What David said says, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this and I will be abased in your eyes. This is his response to Michael, who is Saul's daughter. He couldn't care less what she thought about him because it was secondary to what God thought about him and it was secondary to what God had done for him. He knew who God was, he knew what God had done for him, and he was motivated by love. These stories are, by, are about two very different people. One, so low, regarded so low, despised, not even valued, and one, completely just high up, esteemed by people, a whole king. And yet they, had, they could have had the same problem, how people perceived them with their worship to God, but they didn't let that get in the way. I don't know if I, if I was David, if I would be able to do that. Honestly, I wish I could say I would, but as a king, I don't know if the eyes of everyone look at me like, how dare you? I don't know why they have British accents, but in my mind they do. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I just can't imagine with like the people around me looking at me like, oh my gosh, like get a hold of yourself. Or the people who, you know, the lady who comes in with an alabaster jar and having all these people looking at her like, mm, you're a sinner, why are you in my house? I can't imagine that I would be able to do that. But they modeled worship that God honors, and he honors this because God had both of their backs in an instant. Both of their backs. With the one lady, we see how he tells Simon the king. He's like, let me tell you something, okay? He said, let me tell you something. He tells the story of the debtors, and he said, do you see, do you see like, about the, the one who knows see the, they're forgiven much, how they worship? And then he said, she anointed my feet. You didn't. She gave me water for my feet. You didn't. She's never stopped kissing me, and you didn't. And the Pharisee had actually invited him into the house, and he had her back. 
And he has David's back as well. That last verse after that says, Michael never had children again. That's like big. That's yikes. Okay. But he will always have your back. He defends extravagant worshipers because he's extravagant himself. His love is so great, so extremely um, extravagant that you know the situations that he's brought you out of that you put yourself in. It was completely your fault. He had no, he, he could have not helped you. Talk about dying on the cross for us and resurrecting and not just stopping there. And he goes on and he protects us and he provides and he's our provider. He's a mighty fortress who, who we can run to a friend. He's completely extravagant. He literally offered up his body and he doesn't stop there. He never stops there. He sings and rejoices over his people, over those he has redeemed and deems as righteous. Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love, and he will exalt you with loud singing. This is God rejoicing over the people that he has redeemed. A whole God singing loudly for people that he has redeemed. He sings over us. He rejoices over his children. In Luke 10, 21, it says, In the same hour, Jesus re rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. He's rejoicing in his Father's will, in the Spirit. And rejoice in Greek is agaleo. It means to jump for joy, to leap, to exalt, to be exceedingly glad. Okay, I can't imagine, like, God and Jesus just going, whoa, I can't, like, can you imagine that? Like, God is doing that over you, over the people he's redeemed. In, in Hebrew, it says, the word rejoice is gil, forgive my pronunciation, I haven't taken those classes, which means spin around under the, inf the, the influence of violent emotion, okay? This is God of the universe, literally doing this, up there sometimes, <laughs> over his children, over his redeemed children. He looks at you and he sees righteousness because of what Jesus did. <laughs> and we stand here and we're captivated by the fear of what people think about us when he's doing that over us. If you're honest with yourself, you've probably been in worship services where you want to lift your hands. It's something stirring up. You want to lift your hands so bad. You want to cry. You want to bow. You want to cry in contrition. You're so overtaken. You want to dance. You want to scream. You want to shout. And fear is holding you back because of how you look. How you look. How you look with the people around you. And it's true, like... You come in here and you're like, well, she knows what I did last night. Someone else comes in here and they're like, with your spouse and maybe he was the recipient of your temper last night. But you're in the presence of God. And if you cannot bow and be completely yourself and offer up contrition to him, you're missing out. Because he's the God who is not distant. And religion will always try to make him distant, but he isn't. Dale painted a picture today when, I was, when we were singing Baba, Esheo Baba, one of the worshipers. He went down with the children here, and I almost lost it. Because in that moment, it's like he reflected the Father's heart coming down as human beings with us. 
He's not distant. He wants us close. And the truth is, when you offer yourself and you offer up an offering of praise, you will look dumb and people will despise you and people will look at you and be like, well, she's just extra. They will. <laughs> they will. But so what? No, really. If we can get ourselves to a place where we ask Jesus to consume us with his love, consume us with who he is, that our focus is Jesus, then we won't care what the people say. Because the truth is, Jesus did not resurrect from the grave for me to crawl back into a grave of people's opinions of me. He didn't do that. And so when you ask him and you seek him and you put your eyes onto him, fear has to die. It has to die. It has to die. What you think about me has to die. Because what he thinks about me comes first. And so when we come in gatherings like this, just ask the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's always checking me. Beth, you didn't do that. That was fear. You were thinking what that person would think about you. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I did that again. The truth is we always do it. But we cannot stay there. We cannot stay in our fear. Otherwise, it will consume us. And we'll miss out on an intimacy that God wants to share with us. An intimacy that is so deep. And so we just come to the Father and we're like, Holy Spirit, I'm afraid. And he'll be like, the only way to overcome fear is by doing the very thing that you're afraid of. And the thing is, he's there with you. We're going to sing in a song in a second. It's at the, the bridge goes, you split the sea so I could walk right through it. He splits the sea, but we got to walk right through it. And he's there with us walking right through it. So today I just want to challenge you. If you haven't, if you've never lifted your hands before and you want to, lift one hand. Shout, sing. You cannot stay in the same place. And some of you don't want to and that's fine. There is no condemnation. There is never any shame in the presence of God. But if you want to, and the only thing holding you back is how you look, then bring it to the presence of God and say, Lord Jesus, I'm completely scared of how this person's going to see me. Deliver me. And then just go ahead and do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. By the power of the Holy Spirit. He's there. And he will help you through it. He does not let us stay in one place. He loves us way too much to do that. All right. Let's all stand real quick. I want us to lift our left hand. All of us, if we can lift our left hand. There you go. Now lift your right hand. Now look around. Yeah, now everyone sees how you look with your hands raised. <laughs> you can put them down. <laughs> Wasn't too bad, okay? Now we're gonna do, take it a step further. We're gonna clap our hands. Psalm 47 says, oh, clap your hands, all ye people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. So we're just gonna clap.
That's good. This is the last challenging one for the day. (laughs) Psalm 98 verse 4 says, Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth in song. Rejoice and sing praises. We're going to shout hallelujah from the top of our lungs. I'm going to put this mic down. Ah, he's already on it. We're going to shout it as many times until I do this. Like a great musician, you guys will all stop. (laughs) <laughs> but we're going to shout hallelujah as soon as I put my mic down, okay? I'll count us off. Hallelujah. He's worthy. He's worthy. Amen. Amen.